Welcome to Eczema Out Loud from the National Eczema Association. I'm Danny Morsehead. Can I see the same dermatologist for my eczema and for my Botox? Today I'm speaking with Dr. Pooja Chitgopekar and Dr. Zelma Chiesa-Fuxench to answer this question. Dr. Chitgopekar is a cosmetic and surgical dermatologist who specializes in Mohs surgery. We'll get into what that means later. Dr. Chiesa Fuxench is a medical dermatologist. We'll start with Dr. Chiesa Fuxench. Hi, Dr. Chiesa Fuxench. Can you start off with an introduction and then we will get into some questions about what it means to be a medical dermatologist? Hi, Danny. Hi, everyone who's listening to us. My name is Dr. Zelma Chiesa Fuxench and I'm an assistant professor of dermatology at the University of Pennsylvania uh, Perlman School of Medicine. And it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for being here. And let's just dive right in. I would love for you to walk us through the path you took that led you to becoming a dermatologist. Uh, <laughs> this is, I think, a very humbling question because you go back and you you sort of think about, you know, what that path has been and the people that have sort of influenced you along the way, right? And so, you know, the first path is you go to medical school, right? And so if you're not familiar with it, once you finish, you know, if you do your college degree or you do your, your pre-med, which is a three-year college program, then you apply to medical school and you do four years. So I I am originally from San Juan, uh, Puerto Rico. That's where I was born and raised. And so I did my medical school at the University of Puerto Rico School of Medicine. Um, I was a little bit late in my decision. I decided that I wanted to be a dermatologist when I did an elective rotation in dermatology at the beginning of my fourth year. And that is a bit unusual. Most people who want to follow into the field of dermatology decide early on, I think, in their medical careers um, because it is a competitive specialty. Um, I always thought I would go into internal medicine and become a rheumatologist, but it took that one week in dermatology for me to shift gears completely. And, you know, after after I match into residency, because there is a process where you apply, right, as a medical student, it's called the resident, um, the match. And then, you know, you are sort of matched with a specific program. And that's where you go to complete your dermatology residency. Uh, after you finish medical school, you do one year of what's called a preliminary or a transitional year. It's a year where you sort of get exposed to different things. So I did mine in internal medicine. And after you're done with that year, then you go on and you complete your um, dermatology residency. And and I was very fortunate to complete this at the University of of Puerto Rico uh, School of Medicine. It's a small program, but you know, the education, I I will give a shout out to my program. The education is outstanding. Um, You know, my mentors and the faculty, they're all wonderful to work with and a really great learning environment. And, you know, once you finish those three years, you basically become a dermatologist, right? And then you you sit for your boards and you once you complete and you pass your boards, then you are what's called board certified in dermatology. How did you come to specialize in eczema? For me, um, as I was finishing my residency training at the sort of halfway through my third year of residency training in dermatology, I decided that I wanted to dedicate myself to primarily patients with diseases such as psoriasis 
or atopic dermatitis or heterodenitis, which are diseases that uh, will continue to persist in many cases for many years. Um, and that often can be quite challenging to treat because you have to think about comorbidities, you have to think about safety, you have to think about quality of life when selecting treatment. And for these patients, a lot of the patients that were of interest to me were patients that needed some form of systemic therapy because their disease was just very severe, that it wasn't enough to just treat them with topicals. And I knew that those were going to be my patients for a very long time, you know, and I was going to be with them on this journey. Um, so I, I came here under the to Penn under the mentorship of Dr. Joel Gelfand, which is an expert in psoriasis. And uh, I came as a postdoctoral fellow. Um, I was also very interested in clinical research as a way to have access to medications that otherwise I would not have had access for my patients, right? So I was really interested in that field as well. It seems that another door opened at the time. There were new trials coming out for patients with atopic dermatitis for biologics, such as dupilumab, and I was very fortunate that Dr. Gelfin was involved with that, and I was able to get involved with that as his postdoctoral fellow. And that was really eye-opening for me. I, I, I have to say, I really did not capture, didn't really understand the full burden of what it meant to have eczema. And, and I may never know that fully because I don't suffer from eczema, right? But from taking care of those patients, just seeing the amount of um, discomfort, the itching, the pain, how it affected every aspect of a patient's quality of life, that to me was, you know what? These are patients that really do need more treatments, they need better care, they need us to be able to co-manage them with other specialties. And so I just veered in that direction. I thought it was all sort of kind of came to place at the same time. I was very fortunate to then be able to join the faculty at Penn and um, the chair of my department, Dr. Cotzerellis, was has been very supportive in helping me expand my interest in atopic dermatitis and in focusing on caring for these patients, developing specialty clinics where we see these patients, the ones that are probably the hardest to treat, right, and diagnose. But that has been a, a truly remarkable learning experience. And I, and I would say it's that that's basically how we, I, how I sort of ended up where I am today. Great. Thank you for going so in depth. What percentage of your time is spent working with eczema versus other conditions? Right, so that will vary. Um, I would say that at this point, um, because I'm also very much interested in general, general excuse me, dermatology as well, um, because I am a dermatologist, right, at the end of the day, so, so skin diseases are, are my thing, um, I would say that about half of my clinical time is dedicated to patients with atopic dermatitis or a little bit more than that. And then the rest of the time is primarily dedicated to general dermatology. And when we say general dermatology, that can be anything from um, patients with other chronic inflammatory skin diseases, such as psoriasis or heterodenitis. Um, but we also have what would be, you know, your bread and butter dermatology, your acne patients, your skin cancer patients. So it's a little bit of a mix there. But I think that keeps things also a little bit exciting and it keeps you on your toes. Totally. And do you do any surgical dermatology work? As, as part of our, our dermatology training, we do get training in surgery during our three years of training. Um, I'm very fortunate to practice in a location where I have um, such amazing and excellent colleagues um, who are surgeons and 
they basically will help with the surgical procedure. So at this point, my clinic is 100% medical dermatology. It's in the office, in clinical evaluation and management. So I don't really do any surgery at this point. Um, but that may be different depending on the scenario where you find yourself, right? If you're in a private um, practice or in another academic setting or you have another academic position, even within my institution, you can do a mix of both, you know, just medical dermatology and surgical dermatology. And and that's one of the other things I did um, forget to mention. I had forgotten to mention initially when we talked about what drove me into this field is that I think in the field of dermatology, it's very versatile. You could sort of, um, and you can change, right? It, you can change with time if you're more interested in cosmetic, medical or surgical dermatology or derm path, there are different um, paths that you can take, right? And you don't have to commit specifically to one thing. If you wanna do them all, that's great too. But if you also just wanna focus, uh, there's plenty of things that you can focus on. And that's what that's one of the other things that drove me into this field, that you could do so many different things, but also maybe just choose to do one. So I'm familiar with medical, cosmetic, and surgical dermatology, but what's DermPath? Oh, so DermPath, I'm sorry, I should have explained it further. So, so DermPath <laughs> is, um, um, it's a dermatologist that specializes or does another year in pathology. pathology. So any uh, biopsy specimens, you know, that we obtain from uh, biopsies that we do in clinic, we will send them to our dermatopathologist for them to sort of give us what the diagnosis is, right, from the specimen. Um, so again, these are most of the dermatopathologists that I work with, they are dermatologists by training, and then they complete an additional year in pathology. And, you know, they're, it's, I think it's a very exciting field. I also think having a pathologist that works with me that is also a dermatologist offers certain advantages because they know what the disease looks like on the skin. So when they're looking at the biopsy, I think they can do they can do a, a very good correlation between what we see from the clinical side and what they see from the specimen. And that is very important, especially for very um, challenging diagnoses. I'd love to hear, I know this is a complicated question because every patient is different, but in general, what does the process of working with an eczema patient look like? And I'm also curious now if you ever consult the derm paths with eczema patients. So I think this is a great question, right? I think, and I, and I will explain this to patients, you know, when they come in, you are very different from the last eczema patient I saw and the, the next eczema patient that I will see. It does take time, I think, particularly patients who have more severe disease. Uh, I usually will try to dedicate um, a fair amount of time upfront during my patient's initial visit to try to explain better their disease, right? What it is that you have, what is the prognosis, what are your treatment options? And I oftentimes, my impression has been that if I do this at the very beginning, when we are establishing a relationship, right, as the patient and the provider, that the next visits actually move a little bit faster because the patient has a better understanding of their disease and what their treatment plan is. And you know, we're, we're all busy, busy and time in clinic is precious, but I think in particular for our eczema patients, we do have to dedicate a lot of that time up front. 
um, because it will make the next visits, I, I guarantee, makes them a little bit easier, right? Um, when when talking to um, our dermatopathologist, I mean, I, I think they are critical for me to, to work with and actually um, I will consult with them fairly regularly. You know, if I have a patient coming in and particularly if I'm thinking about moving in the direction of a systemic agent and, you know, I suspect that I just want to make sure that this is in fact something that fits the criteria of atopic dermatitis and we can get a biopsy confirmation. I will often do the biopsy because things can be tricky on the skin and a lot of things can sometimes look the same and you just you don't want to miss the diagnosis, right? So I will send for biopsy and I will try to do a clinical pathological correlation. If sometimes I get a pathology result that comes back and I look at it and I feel like, you know what, this is not really what I was seeing clinically, I would often go back to the dermatopathologist and we would sit together in the microscope and say, listen, let's try to figure this one out. Um, so we try to work as a team. Um, and they can be very helpful. Uh, again, I've been surprised in cases where I have a patient come in and I think that this is psoriasis and then a biopsy and the findings are more consistent with atopic dermatitis and then you treat them for atopic dermatitis and they get better, right? So you, you do have to be careful, I think, especially in your adult patients who may not have a prior history of atopic dermatitis or in those where the distribution is a little bit different. I think a biopsy and having the, the help from our dermatopathologist is critical, right? And it's something that I think we're, we're very fortunate to have. Yeah, wow, that's an amazing collaboration. But I'm curious, on your side, if you have people walk in the door with conditions that you don't treat or that you'll have to refer to other doctors, this is relative to cosmetic dermatology, but not necessarily only cosmetic dermatology. Right, right. So, you know, in terms of the uh, conditions that we treat in a medical dermatology practice, I would say anything that's within the realm of dermatology, we can tackle. Um, again, during those three years of residency, uh, I believe the way that the residency programs are structured overall, you do get training in medical dermatology, you get training in cosmetic dermatology, and you get training in surgical dermatology. So once you are out right into the world, um, you can actually practice all three fields, right? Um, some choose to be more specific and focus on one area, which is my case. I focus primarily on medical dermatology. I may do some cosmetic procedures, but that is not my um, you know, the bread and butter of what I do, if we're going to call it that way. And the same experience, uh, you know, uh, someone who practices more cosmetic dermatology may also tell you that they may say, you know what, I have dedicated my training, um, my focus in clinic to doing cosmetic dermatology procedures or surgical procedures. So I don't feel comfortable maybe doing these other things. And, you know, these are um, my colleagues in dermatology, they may feel that they're they can manage, you know, just maybe a, a, a case of atopic dermatitis or eczema that may not be as severe, but maybe for the more challenging cases that require use of systemic medications, they might refer to someone who is comfortable with that, right? Be it a general dermatologist or someone who specializes in medical dermatology, right? So it really does depend, I think, on each provider's um, or each dermatologist's comfort level at the end of the day. Wow, great. I feel like you just completely answered the question, which is, it depends, 
But in theory, you should be able to see the same dermatologist for your Botox as you can for your eczema. <laughs> right. You should be able to, again, but there is there are caveats to that, right? There are there are some who, again, just dedicate to one area and that is their expertise. And we as providers and dermatologists, you also be humble and recognize, okay, maybe I'm not comfortable doing that. Maybe this is the time where I refer this patient, right? And it's okay. I mean, this is a team effort, right? So it's okay to refer patients. It's okay to say, no, it doesn't make you less or more of a dermatologist, right? Okay, one more question for you. What is your favorite part of being a dermatologist? Wow, that is a hard question. <laughs> There's so many things about it that I like. Um, I think my favorite, favorite thing is when you have, um, you know, when you have a patient coming in and you can sort of see just this sort of frustration and you you know you have that conversation with the patient you both decide you know you engage in treatment discussion you select what you and the patient think is the best option for treatment right and then uh, you have this sort of shared decision making approach and the patient goes home they start the treatment and then they come back and their skin is under control right they're in the case of, of atopic dermatitis, they're not itchy anymore. And they tell you, I can sleep, I'm not itchy, and just their mental health has improved. And that to me is the happiest part of my day. When patients come in and say, thank you for, for doing all you did. And I'm thinking, I really didn't do a lot. I just gave you the medication, you know, having them come back and say that their life has changed so much that to me is the most gratifying day uh, part of my day and the happiest time of my day and you know everything could be going wrong that day but you have one of those and then everything is good and and that to me is my favorite part that you can you can have that impact on a patient's life um and and that's what i think keeps keeps us all going at the end of the day incredible i'm wishing you many more experiences of that type <laughs> i would also add that you are definitely part of the research that's going into creating these life-changing medications. I've read some of your um, publication titles here. <laughs> so I would say you're very much you're very much part of it. Right, but I'm just a very, very tiny piece of that puzzle. I, I think, you know, changing the life of patients, the lives of patients with eczema is, is everyone's, right? It takes, uh, uh, you know, us as, as providers, it takes um, the National Eczema Association as patient advocates. It's, it takes industry for there to be interest and research in this area. So it's everyone has their part to play, I think, here. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Dr. Chiesa Fuxench. I'd now like to bring in Dr. Pooja Chitkopecker, who will be telling us about the surgical and cosmetic side of dermatology. So my name is Pooja Chitkopecker, um, and I'm a board-certified dermatologist and board-certified Mohs micrographic surgeon, um, and I work in downtown Chicago uh, at a private practice. Great. And I'd love it if you could walk us through the path you took to becoming a dermatologist. Yeah, so a little bit about me. I, I'm actually originally from New Zealand, so um, a place where skin cancer is very, very prevalent. New Zealand and Australia have super high rates around the world, so definitely always exposed to that um, kind of going throughout med school. Um, so dermatology was always on my mind. I finished medical school and moved to the States um, 
shortly after. My husband's from here, so he he uh, tricked me and dragged me over, but I love it now. Um, and I decided to pursue dermatology, which had always been of interest to me. Um, so for me, it was a little bit different since I didn't kind of graduate from school in, in the US. So I'm kind of feeling my way out and um, kind of getting to work with a couple of other dermatologists in the area, um, working on some research papers and kind of just getting some exposure to dermatology in the US, which, believe it or not, is pretty similar to dermatology in New Zealand as well. Um, and so that kind of kickstarted my navigation towards applying for dermatology and whatnot. Uh, you said skin cancer is quite prevalent in New Zealand. Yeah. So, I mean, New Zealand and Australia actually have super high rates of skin cancer. And I think it's just related to where in the atmosphere we live. Um, and then just sort of the the level of sun and exposure that we get there. It's a very, They're both very outdoorsy countries and the climate allows for people to spend a lot of time outdoors. So I imagine that has something to do with it as well. Um, so in New Zealand, you know, dermatology is, is the same as we have here in terms of like specialists who deal with skin cancer and whatnot but actually gps or general practitioners also do a lot of skin cancer screening and um and whatnot for patients much more than i think i, I, I saw here but that was always incorporated into sort of primary care there as well neat yeah and definitely not something we do here i don't i think most people wouldn't yeah incorporate any kind of skin health into their routines or yep. their medical checkups until later. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I found kind of different coming from there to here. And, you know, everything's definitely a little bit more divided in terms of specialty. Yeah. Let's go through what the training was like for becoming the type of dermatologist that you are now. Yeah. So um, the initial path to becoming a dermatologist is pretty universal across the board here. So um, it's a four-year residency the first year is just an internship year generally people will do it in like internal medicine or general surgery so um it's, it's called the intern year and then you go straight into your dermatology program where you do three years straight of um, dermatology training so at the end of that four years that's when we take our board exams and you you are a board certified dermatologist so for me um kind of realizing my interest a little bit earlier on in, in the more procedural aspect of dermatology i decided i wanted to pursue um, a fellowship in most surgery or skin cancer surgery and, and more of the kind of procedural aspects of it so um, i trained at the university of iowa um, and that's where i did my residency and i was fortunate enough to be able to spend an extra year there doing my fellowship so that year was really spent doing just just that. So really didn't do much of the general derm that we I trained in for those few years, but really spent it doing surgeries and procedures. Um, and also for me, because I took an interest in sort of cosmetic and aesthetic dermatology, um, a couple of the attendings I trained with were able to assist and kind of foster that interest for me so I could get extra additional training on that. Neat. And I'm curious, what is, you call it Mohs surgery? Yes, it's called Mohs Micrographic Surgery. Dr. Frederick Mohs was sort of pioneer of this technique of Mohs surgery. So essentially the way I explain it to patients is someone will come to me with a biopsy proven skin cancer. So they've seen maybe one of my other colleagues in the practice or maybe myself or biopsied a lesion that was then confirmed as a skin cancer. And so then um, the, the patient will come to me for a procedure called Mohs surgery, M-O-H-S. And what that entails is basically removing with very, very small margins, just kind of around the spot that we know was biopsied and confirmed as a skin cancer. I have a tech in office who will then 
process those that tissue that I take and put it onto slides for me. And that's basically a frozen, it's called a frozen specimen. So it's able to be done pretty quickly. Depending on the size of it, it could be done within like 30 to 45 minutes. Um, and then basically I get to take a look at that tissue um, and examine it under the microscope. How I tell, sort of explain it to patients is I'm getting a full sort of 360 view. So I'm seeing all around the skin cancer and also underneath. And I ink the tissue to correspond with the patient. So the 12, 3, 6, and 9 o'clock on the patient is inked on the tissue. So if I see any skin cancer in a small area, say between 12 and 3 o'clock, then I can go and remove precisely just in that area. So it's really a method to be conservative um, with, with margins. So in locations that we you know, can't take like excess margins. So oftentimes the face is one of the big areas, hands, feet, um, sort of like ears, neck, that sort of thing. But it also allows for really precise margin control because I'm examining the entire specimen. It's, it's definitely a really sort of, you know, precise and unique way to treat patients. So you're giving them sort of the smallest um, defect possible, but also ensuring that you're removing all the skin cancer. Neat. Okay. And what drew you to be interested in this type of procedure? I think I've just generally always enjoyed procedural, um, anything procedural really, and like being kind of hands-on. And the nice thing with dermatology is even if you're not necessarily, you know, doing this full time, there's so many aspects that you can incorporate into your day-to-day um, practice that we do. We do lots of biopsies and whatnot. And um kind of realizing that, you know, there was this extra level that could I could do where I would be able to do it a little bit more dedicated really drew me to it. And I think I had some really great mentors in my training that kind of also made me excited about um, learning more. Great. Okay, so what other conditions do you treat? So yeah, my primary focus is, is, is sort of skin cancer removal. So if I'm not doing MOS, I'm also doing like excisions and removal of um, other types of skin cancers. But also I do a lot of removal of benign lesions. So people will come in with cysts or lipomas, um, like little fatty growths, and, and I'll remove those. And so from the kind of the surgical aspect, I do that. But then other kind of conditions I guess I do is I, I have an interest in like cosmetic and laser laser surgery. So I do treat patients. I see patients for kind of aesthetic needs. So injectables like Botox and filler, um, as well as, um, again, laser devices to treat kind of a myriad of conditions. So oftentimes like acne scarring or rosacea, those are two really common things that I, I treat with laser and enjoy a lot. And do you ever treat eczema patients or anybody else who walks in with, say, a rash, would they come and see you? So they probably wouldn't primarily come to see me, but um, of course, always, you know, since eczema is so prevalent and so common, like it's not uncommon for me to have a patient who will be like, by the way, I have this going on. Do you mind taking a look at it? In which case, of course, I'm trained enough to, to be able to help them. But I would, you know, if, if things were more severe, I would definitely um, sort of defer or kind of advise them to see one of my colleagues. Definitely. Okay. And do you ever have patients referred to you from other dermatologists? Yes. Within my practice itself, um, there's a, you know a handful of us that work together, and so 
if they were to biopsy patients that had skin cancer, they would then refer to me to be treated. So they'll, they'll come to me. Um, and then sometimes I'll get referrals straight from like primary care physicians as well that may have seen patients or are concerned about a lesion that they think is potentially skin cancer. Um, so, so I would say those are kind of the two main referral sources within my own group, my other colleagues, and then also sometimes like primary care. Wow, we've really blown through the questions here, but I'm curious <laughs> to hear more about the cosmetic side of your practice. What types of procedures do you do? And yeah, what's your specialty there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think about cosmetics in just sort of a, a few different ways, I guess, that, that how to treat a patient. So I think one of the most common things that most people have heard of are like injectables, such as like Botox and filler. So, you know, oftentimes a patient may come in requesting a specific treatment with me so they may say you know like i really want i've been getting botox before i've had filler before and i want this treated but a lot of times i'll also just have patients kind of come in for like a consult and we'll, we'll kind of go through the different options on how to best treat it you know whether it be kind of a combination of injectables and topicals um kind of given getting an overall assessment and coming up with a plan on how how best to kind of treat them um everyone's different everyone kind of has their own unique sort of needs or focuses um and so kind of coming up with a tailored plan and working with the patient is really important to me to kind of make sure we're achieving those aesthetic goals so in terms of like laser treatments um i would say a couple of the, the things that i do that that are like very common are um treating like redness or rosacea we have lasers that basically target different things in the skin if they're targeting blood vessels we're treating redness um so I, I see a lot of patients with like residual redness from rosacea that you know really benefit from vascular laser treatments another thing is i kind of briefly mentioned before so like acne scarring or even like traumatic or surgical scars we can actually now treat with lasers um, that essentially help to build up collagen in the area so um, that's another aspect. Usually we reserve those treatments for like the fall or winter where the patient isn't going to get a lot of sun on the skin because they can be a little bit more um, damaging to the skin. So we really want to protect from the sun so they don't get like tanned or discolored marks from it. Um, and then another big sort of element of, of the sort of aesthetic laser treatment is um, like fine lines or wrinkles of, you know, patients that develop like sunspots over time and a combo of that we can also treat with these, we call them resurfacing lasers. So, um, so we think about Botox and filler as kind of the group of injectables. So the way I explain the use of Botox, or I guess Botox is the brand name. So botulinum toxin is really the product that we're using. Um, and there's different brands that create it. We basically will use them to treat what I call like static lines. So a lot of times patients will come in and sort of say like, I have these lines around my crow's feet, like, or between my eyebrows, I'm always sort of furrowing um, or sort of deep creases on the forehead. Um, basically we're using the toxin to paralyze the muscle. So then the skin on top isn't moving. So with time, the idea is if you're not utilizing that muscle and the skin's not being used over the top of it, those creases will soften with time. Um, so most people need to get treated anywhere from like three to five months um, between treatments because that's how long it lasts. It's, it's kind of like a long-term commitment once you kind of get going with it, um, but definitely patients see good results. Um, and then filler can kind of come in a, different compositions, um, some that are a little bit more permanent, some that dissolve over their, over time on their own. Um, and I think about that to sort of replace volume loss in patients. So 
as we all get older and our facial structure changes, um, we lose fat from different areas. We lose sort of the muscle and ligament support that we once had. And we also get sort of bony resorption with time. And all of that can create sort of like hollows or, you know, different areas of sort of volume loss. So filler can really be used to help build volume. So like oftentimes sort of will get an overall assessment of the patient and think about whether they need a little bit more support in their mid face or lower face or around the temples, around the eyes, um, that sort of a thing. But again, that kind of comes into the overall assessment and sort of working with the patient to see what areas bother them most or where they would see most benefit from. Great. And so if filler is used to sort of fill space from volume loss, is there an opposite of that? Is there a, a taking space out? There is. Um, So there is something that basically can remove fat. So we think about it for a lot of times, people will think about it for sort of under the chin in terms of like fullness. Um, uh, It's called, the brand name that we often use is Kybella, but it's deoxycholic acid. Um, And it essentially can be used to dissolve or remove the fat um, from, from the area. So I would say the most common areas around there, but it's been sort of used in other sort of areas like the jowls and patients and whatnot um, to help remove volume. And so if a patient comes into your practice and requests a cosmetic procedure, but they have eczema, are there any considerations for patients who are maybe even other um, skin conditions? Yeah, absolutely. I think it also depends on the area that's affected. So you know, generally if someone has like an active rash or active area of irritation or eczema, probably don't want to be treating right over that area until they're sort of calm, uh, the skin is calm. So I think that's often a consideration. And then often our like eczema patients will have like sensitivities to other products and topicals. So I think kind of just bearing that in mind, um, I think can be really helpful. A lot of the injectables, they are placed deep in the skin. So it may not necessarily cause any like flaring or worsening of their rash or eczema. Um, but you know, sometimes like the alcohol that we use to clean the skin or the hibber cleanse prep that, that may be more drying and irritating. So I think kind of it's helpful to know so that we can kind of bear that in mind while we're treating them. And for that same patient, if they ask you to treat their eczema, would you be able to, or would you refer them to another dermatologist? Yeah, for me, I think it depends on the level of eczema. So oftentimes, like my patients are referred within my practice to me. So they've often seen one of our other providers. So if it's something that I can help them with, um, you know, generally, I like in terms of like refilling medications or kind of helping them get in touch with one of the other docs, I, I will. But I generally will defer to one of my colleagues um, who tend to see more of it. Okay, and I have one more question for you, unless you have anything else to add. I don't think so, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, my last question for you is, what is your favorite part of being a dermatologist? Oh, being a dermatologist is the best specialty in the world, but I I guess I'm biased because I am one. I love dermatology for so many reasons. The patients that you can form long-term relationships with are amazing, like any other specialty, I'm sure. But I think things in dermatology are always evolving. There's so much that we still don't know about the skin. Um, So just even from like a basic science perspective and medical derm issues, there's so much evolving and changing if we think about how conditions have been treated and what there is. But then from my point of view, from like a surgical and cosmetic aspect, that is also like evolving, just even in the time that I've trained, the number of new devices that have come out to treat different, um, you know, uh, cosmetic concerns has changed, um, as well as like the types of products that have they've 
companies have developed for us to use. So it's always just really exciting and evolving. It's never stagnant. There's always something to learn. There's always something to read up more about or something to think about. And I think that's just the future of dermatology. It's ever evolving. Um, technology's on our side and, and there's just, there's so much that there's still to come. I think that's what makes it most exciting. Awesome. Your patients are lucky to have you as their doctor. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Eczema Out Loud. You can visit the National Eczema Association at www.nationaleczema.org. If you have feedback on this episode, or you'd like to send in a suggestion for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at nationaleczema.org. We hope you'll join us next time. 